Uh, good morning. Glad you're here today. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses of Matthew 7 today as we continue to work our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's also going to be up on the screen, and those 12 verses are in your bulletin in the notes section if you want to look there as well. And then if you just want to hold your finger there for just a second, I was going to give you a little bit of a heads up about where we're headed the next few weeks because we're getting close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to be out of town for a few days this week, and so Keith is going to teach for us next Sunday. And I had been kind of just in my own mind juggling several thoughts of what we might do next, and I was leaning, I hadn't said this out loud to anybody, but I was leaning toward doing the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, because we haven't done that as a church. If you look on our website, actually, there's not a single sermon from Colossians, and then I've never taught through it in like a large group worship setting. I don't know how. I've, I've done Bible studies through it. So I was leaning that way, and then Keith this week texted. He was like, I'm thinking about doing Colossians 1 next Sunday. And it just felt like, okay, I think that's probably the direction we'll go. So unless he changes his mind and feels led a different way, which he's got freedom to do in the next week, he's probably going to do Colossians 1. And it'll be kind of an intro to where we're headed in a few weeks. And then two weeks from now, we'll finish the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and then I'll probably, the week after that, do a wrap-up week where if you all have sections that we haven't covered enough, like certain smaller, like, you know, two or three verses where it was in a bigger chunk and we didn't really slow down and look at those verses and you had a thought or a question that you wanted to come back to, give us one last week to touch anything we want in the sermon based on the whole thing once we looked at it all, and then we'll jump into Colossians from there. But also something else with your connect, connection cards today. Uh, you know, usually we have prayer requests, information, ministry, service opportunities. But if you have certain books of the Bible, sections of the Bible, topics in the Bible, something that you would like for me to be thinking about us covering even next year as I plan out sort of the teaching calendar, if you would write me a note and drop that in, in the box on the way out, or if you want to email me anytime, it's andy at a churchforyou.com. Uh, just email me or drop. I'd love to hear things that you would like for us to cover because um, nothing's set in stone, not even Colossians 1 <laughs> next week for Keith. Uh, we could bust the, the wheel of sermons back out and cover a few different things, uh, but I would love to hear from you just ideas and thoughts, and if there's something that I hear a lot, I may know that's a good direction for us to go. So I'd appreciate you doing that. Uh, so that's kind of where we're headed. Matthew 7, 1 through 12 this week, Colossians 1 next week, finish Matthew 7 the week after probably finish the Sermon on the Mount the week after that, and then jump into Colossians, just if you want to be reading ahead and studying ahead on your own. Now, as far as Matthew 7, 1 through 12 goes today, um, even though it's only 12 verses, these 12 verses contain, I feel like, several of the most famous things that Jesus said while he was on earth, like several different phrases or sentences or verses that if you pull them out, you'll hear people quoting them both in church settings and not in church settings. And, and to see them all packed together this closely, because they're, they're not usually quoted together, but to see them packed together and realize how close together they were in the sermon was really interesting for me the past couple of weeks as I've been looking at this section. And it made me think about last Sunday when I got up here and I thanked Eric for teaching, and, then, and I thank Lou for teaching. And, and with Lou, I made fun of him for the Photoshop stuff and, and the fake ones about him being able to beat me at basketball and all that sort of thing. And then with Eric, I said I was going to start with an illustration, and I talked about Kings Island and having to hit that shot on the basketball goal and the clutch moment with the girls. 
And then I realized that those two stories are actually connected, even though I didn't tell them like they're connected. And the connection between those two from last week is this. Lou and I really did used to play basketball together a lot. A couple times a week, we would play one-on-one um, until he hurt his back and had back surgery. I, I've joked about that before, but he really did have back surgery. He wasn't just avoiding me on the basketball court anymore. But he would do this thing where when we were playing, when it came down to the last shot, like if I had one shot to win, and Lou's not here this morning, so he can't defend himself, so I'm telling this the way I want to. Um, actually, I texted him ahead of time, like, hey, I'm going to say this this morning. He was like, go for it. But when it came down to one last shot and it was time for me to try to win, Lou is extremely competitive, and he would do anything he could to try to keep me from making that shot. We had a game one time where he fouled me 15 times in a row on the game-winning shot. And he won't deny this because you can't foul out in one-on-one. So he's just like, I'm just going to foul you again and again and again. Uh, Sometimes, when I would be at the top of the key and we'd check the ball, just this, on, the, on the last shot, like if I'd made several shots in a row, he would just turn and walk away like this because he thought that would get in my head more than if he actually tried to guard me. Um, so that was one of his strategies. Sometimes he would start singing the national anthem to me. I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> he's like it's supposed to be the beginning of the game, but he would do it at the end of the game. But every time he busted out the national anthem, it was like, okay, I've got to hit this shot. It's got to be over. Like, we're not going to play this game. And so with Lou, he had all these different things, and then I would try to hit the clutch shot that mattered. So there's the Lou story with the Photoshop, and then Eric inspired me to tell the illustration from Kings Island, and I had to hit the shot for the girls to, to win the Squishmallows last week. And there was this connection between the two that I wasn't even thinking about when I was telling them. And that's silly, and it's dumb, and it's like two separate illustrations, and it doesn't matter. But I do think with our text today, that there's several connections between these different phrases, these different famous sentences that Jesus gives us, that a lot of times I haven't slowed down to really think about the connections and how relevant they are. And so it's one of the things that I'm going to try to help point out when we get to the time when I talk a little bit later. Um, And then I've also got a question for you out of the text today. And so again, when I ask this question later, if you want to put answers or thoughts on that connection card or you want to email me this week, I'd love to hear what you think because I'm dead serious when I ask it here in a little while. So we're about to jump into that. One other update real quickly. I told you that Josh and Selena Brown and their two sons got on a plane to head to Italy last week um, as full-time vocational missionaries. And they, they got to Italy. The flight and getting, to the, uh, getting settled in with all their bags and stuff went really well. And then their first couple of days last week were extremely overwhelming. (laughs) Um, New language that they don't speak, can't read anything at the grocery stores, like all the things that you would expect when you're in a different culture, different language. And so he texted me um, Tuesday night, and he was like, hey, I'm just going to vomit on you for a few minutes. And he just shared with me just how overwhelmed they were feeling and how just foreign everything was. And, And just the... Just even the, we can't find stuff for our boys just to buy like snacks that they would have. Nothing's the same. And so I texted him back some encouragement about who God is um, and that God is always the same when everything else is different. And then what I would be praying for him. And I, I prayed for him that night that God would just do one of those little things that God does where he whispers to you, smiles at you, shows up, and you know that he sees you and he knows where you are. And I didn't know what that would be. Just help them know that you're with them, that you're going to help them through this transition. 
And so the next day, which was Wednesday, Josh texted me back, and he was like, thanks for all the reminders. I really appreciate it. Um, but just wanted to let you know that today was great. We had a little bit of free time, so we took the boys to a park to play. And Eli's been learning a phrase in Italian where he can ask other kids to play with him. So he used that with this little boy. And then we met the little boy and his mom, and it turns out his mom is a kindergarten English teacher. And so they got to start in like an English and Italian conversation together and exchanged cell phone numbers, and she volunteered to set up play dates between their boys and her boy. And he was like, it was just a reminder that God knows exactly what we need. And so that was for them, which is great news. And for me, it was like, that's exactly what I prayed last night. And it was one of those reminders, and I want to encourage you that, that God hears you. And sometimes you don't see him answer that quickly, and sometimes you do. But it was a good encouragement and challenge for me to keep asking specifically for the things that we need, to keep bringing requests specifically to God and trust the ways that he's working. Even if, you know, they had a couple of days there where it felt like, hey, we're on an island, we're all alone, and they weren't. Like God was working, God was with them, but then asking specifically and seeing him answer specifically was really encouraging. And so I want us to pray together for them right now, again, just as they're making that transition and getting settled in. So we're going to pray for Josh and Selena, and then I'm going to pray also that God would speak to us during this time and teach us from these verses and help us see him and know him more. And then as I read these 12 verses, again, our starting question, what's this teach us about God? And then what's God saying to your heart right now? So will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time right now. I thank you for the story that, that we have this week from Josh and Selena as they're getting settled in in Italy, just of your faithfulness, of the fact that you see them and you know where they are and you know what they need. Thank you for demonstrating that and, and answering it in, in such an encouraging way that, that gives us hope and that it reminds us to come to you with our needs and our requests and our desires and to ask specifically and to trust you as our good Father who gives good gifts. And we pray for Josh and Selena that you will continue to walk them moment by moment and day by day through this transition. Um, I pray with them the, the thing that they've expressed most, Father, we right now, on their behalf, we ask that you would create a deep faith and reliance on Jesus in their hearts, that they will trust you and look to you and find what they need in you. I pray that you will help them as they adjust to the culture and learn the language, that you would make them very proficient in that way, not just for the sake of them making the adjustment, but for the sake of them communicating the gospel and pointing people to Jesus and making disciples and starting churches. I pray for your work in their hearts and in their family and through them in that area and in the world for your purposes. And then I pray, Father, that you'll be doing the same thing in our hearts, even right now this morning that you will teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. Please open up the truth of your word to us. Open us up to the truth of your word and do the spiritual work that only you can do. We need you to do it. We trust you to do it. We ask you to do it right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 7. 
two-thirds of the way through the Sermon on the Mount now, and so feel free to connect this to everything that we've seen Jesus say so far. Um, Don't forget the context, but our 12 verses that we're focusing on this morning, what's this teach us about God? Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. All right, a little bit shorter section for us this week. What does that teach us about God? What stands out to you as starting place for today? God is a good father. Jesus comes down here, starting in verse 9 through verse 11, and he says, look, you are evil. There's sin and wickedness and imperfection and selfish desires in your heart, and even though you're evil, you give good gifts to your children, How much more? So we're going from the lesser to the greater here. If you still love your children and your sinfulness and your selfishness, you still love your children enough to give them good gifts when they ask, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And we've talked about this before. I just want to say it real quickly again, that who God is, his nature as a loving, giving, good father... He has created parenthood, the family on earth, as an illustration of who he is. Like it should help us to understand him more, both when we receive love and good things from our parents, or then we find in ourselves the desire to give love and good things to our children as parents. It's teaching us something about God, who God is. But we have a really dangerous tendency to get that backward and to think that parenthood exists and then parenthood tells us who God is. And so if this goes really bad, 
If we have a bad relationship with our parents, for example, growing up, if our parents aren't who they're supposed to be, we can project that onto God and think that whatever our experience of parenthood is in this life, that it teaches us something about God, and that's not the way it works. This didn't exist, and then God's patterned after that. Who God is exists, and he patterns the family and parenthood after his nature. And that pattern can get twisted, it can get distorted. It's the difference between you go and you look at the Grand Canyon, the real thing, and then you take pictures with your phone and you come back and you try to print those pictures off and something happens with the printer and the pictures come out all distorted and they don't look very good anymore. It'd be really silly if you looked at your printed off pictures and you're like, the Grand Canyon is not that impressive. I mean, first of all, it's only this big. And secondly, I mean, I can't even tell what I'm looking at. Like the fact that the, the image the picture got distorted, doesn't change the real thing. God's the real thing. He is the good father, the perfect father. And and so we take the good things that we learn from parents and in family, and those do point us toward God. But even the best things you learn from your parents, you've got to perfect them before you project them onto God. But then even more, as parents, we look to God and say who God is and how he loves us, how he has related to us, how he's expressed his love to us, should teach us how to love our children. That, that he is the standard that sets the standard for us. And, and it really is important to always keep that in the right order. It's why when we come and we start with what does this teach us about God? That has to be the foundation. It has to be the starting place. If we start with the family or parenting, even things as important as that, if we start with that, like tell me something about parenting, you're starting in the wrong place. Tell me who God is, and God will speak to this and this and this and everything else in your whole life. But what we see right here is that God is a good father. Imagine the way that you would want your father or your parents to love you. Imagine what you would consider the perfect relationship with a parent. Imagine who you would want to be as a parent towards your children. Imagine the way that if if you could remove the sin and the selfishness that's inside of you and love your children perfectly. Imagine that type of perfect love and then accept the fact that your imagination isn't even perfect, so try to make it even more perfect, and that is who God is. And that is how God loves you and how God sees you as his child. And so God is a good father. What else stands out to you? hundred percent like this is I mean and remember sorry I'll restate it just in case anybody didn't hear or if you're listening online first of all Jesus is teaching us things in verses seven and eight about God here God gives to those who ask God opens the door To those who knock. And it gives again, really, but gives, reveals to those who seek. And we know contextually here that Jesus is teaching truths about God with verses 7 and 8 because he connects them so closely to what he says down here in verse 11 of, I'm telling you, this is what your Father in heaven is like. He gives good gifts like this. This is what he does. He's talking about God in verses 7 and 8. 
Um, and so, yeah, God gives to those who ask. God opens the door to those who knock. God gives and reveals to those who seek. And one of the things, what I was going to say before I cut myself off a second ago, one of the things that I think is so important to keep in mind is that Jesus, this human man who is walking on earth at this time teaching, is also the eternal Son of God, who from all eternity past has known the Father, been in relationship with the Father. When he speaks right here, he is speaking, yes, as an eyewitness. He is speaking from personal experience. But even more, he's speaking from, as an eternal eyewitness who has an infinite amount of personal experience with his Father. And he's saying, I know the Father better than anyone. And let me tell you what he's like. He's a father who gives to those who ask and opens the door for those who knock and and reveals to those who seek. This is who the father is. And one of the things it does for me is it makes me pause and realize how often I don't think of God that way and I don't approach God that way. That I, I think of him more as this third grade school teacher who's always sitting at, my third grade school teacher was a, a female, so I was going to say her, but sitting at the desk, sitting at her desk and watching you out of the corner of her eye just to see if you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Like not really interested in helping you with your math homework, more interested in catching you talk to the person sitting next to you than helping you. Not, most teachers aren't like that, but did any of you all have a teacher like that? I had a few teachers, that that's, that's what it felt like to me anyway. That their main, their, my main relationship with them was, can they figure out a way to take away my recess before 1.15 today? <laughs> and of course, all that did was, can I figure out a way to dodge them looking at me and do what I want to do anyway so they don't catch me doing it? Um, quick confession story. So when I was in elementary school, we had the, the little... How many of you did Buffy and Mac as you're reading? like your first reading books? Is it, was it just me in Kentucky? Like, that's not a Tennessee thing. I think Buffy was a panda bear and Mac was a bunny. Anybody know that? Oh, man. So, so uh, like page one, Buffy went up the hill. Mac went up the hill. Buffy and Mac went up the hill. And then, you know, like, whatever, Buffy is playing with a red ball. Mac is playing with a red ball. Buffy and Mac are playing with a red ball. So we'd have to take that home, read to our parents, and our parents had to sign off that we had read that section. But if you didn't bring your book back, the first time you just got a warning, they had extra books on the shelf. I mean, they were like, you know, this thick, little paperback. But the second time, you had to miss recess. And recess was extremely important to me. Um, like, I lived for recess. Well, I forgot my book one time, came back, they, you know, gave me the extra one, but I'd had my warning. I forgot my book again, and I really didn't want to miss recess. And so when I came in that morning to the class before school started, I went over to the spare shelf, I stole one of the books, shoved it up my shirt, went to my desk, acted like I had it for reading that day, and then had to sneak it back over there. And and I'm telling you that, first of all, yeah, that kind of sin is in me, it is in all of us, but also that's what my relationship was with my first grade teacher. Like, she's going to try to catch me, how do I keep her from catching me? And how often do we actually think that's the main thing about who God is? And it's not like God is a father who loves you. And, and the things that he warns you not to do, 
The things that he says, hey, if you do this, it's going to be bad and there's going to be consequences and things are going to result from this that aren't going to be. It's because he loves you and wants to keep you from those things because it's good for you. But it's so easy for the sinfulness in my heart to twist that and then twist the way that I see God. And for Jesus to come back and just remind us, your father's heart is for you. He is in your corner. He's in favor of you. He wants. You you don't have to convince him to do good things for you. He wants to do good things for you. You don't have to, to convince him to give you good things. He wants to give you good things. And just the nature of God being loving and giving and generous and gracious, that that God's favor has been secured for us in Jesus. And he sees you as his child, and his heart is for you in all the right and perfect ways that you would think of that. And, And the things that don't fit in these verses, you know, the things that you don't get, it's because he knows what that would mean for you. And he's still for you. Like He wants what's best for you. He knows that he's what's best for you. The things that he gives you, he gives you so they will point you to him. The things that he withholds, he withholds because he knows they would keep you from him. But he is for you. He does love you. He is a good father. And, and nobody could ever speak to that more than Jesus. They. There is no one in the history of the world who will ever speak, including you or me, if if they say something other than what Jesus says about the Father, they're wrong. Jesus is the true witness and the perfect testimony of who the Father is. What else stands out to you? Okay. Yeah. And so it's like, that's, you know, you spend the first five verses saying, you're not better than anybody else, but then verse six, you will be in separate, right? Right. But the way, so, so when I ponder on it, it's like, but no, it makes sense because it's, it's hey, don't be a hypocrite, don't be judgy, but I'm still calling you to be holy. But then it comes to the conclusion that only God can give you that ability. It's not on you, it's on me, it's on God. He gives you that ability. And so don't, you're still not better than anybody. So as I, as I talk right here, John, if I don't get back to everything you just said, like bring me back to it because you've hit like 10 things that are all on my mind here. First of all, verse 6 is the verse I was going to ask you all a question about. And John is making some connections here that are helpful. Verse 6 has been hard for me this week. Like I just, every time I read it, I don't understand. I'm, I'm just, I'm admitting to you right now. Like I'm supposed to stand up here and, and teach. Every time I read it, I don't understand why it's here. <laughs> now, I know, that, I know the typical way that we teach it, and I do understand that, but for whatever reason, it has not fit as clearly for me as the rest of the verses in this section. And so if you have more insight, and, and, and John, if you've got even more than you just said, and you want to jot that down today, or you want to send me an email and help me understand like, more of how this connects, I really, like, I would love to hear from you because I have, like, I've, I've thought about it with every piece and it's just like, yeah, I know what we usually say about this verse and I, and I get that, 
but it, it hasn't settled for me where I'm like, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly why this is here. And listen, I really believe this is one of the best things about studying the Bible. When you have a question that you can't answer, and that's what has been, that's usually a place to, that God has something to teach you when he opens it up and you see it. And so don't, don't ever think that that's a bad thing. When you come to a section, you're like, I'm not sure I don't know you. What that means is there's an answer still coming that's going to be, if you'll really push into this and drill into this and ask God to keep showing you, and he may not show you right now. You know, it may be weeks or months or even years later where you know, that light bulb goes off and he connects two things for you. But this has been one of those for me in this section. And so since John has pointed us to it, and he was setting it in the context for us where he said, you know, Jesus starts out, with the do not judge. And that, this is one of the ones I was talking about. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Listen, you can hear that quoted anywhere in our world that you want to. Like, you know, in the world as much as in the church. This is a really famous thing that Jesus said. And then even the, the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye has become a really famous thing that you hear a lot. But then the don't throw your pearls before pigs, you hear that a lot. People say that a lot. Asking it will be given to you is really famous. But then especially down here, the golden rule, do to others what you would have them do to you. And of course, Jesus then ties this back to the beginning of the sermon. If you remember, in chapter 5, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And then he said, your righteousness is going to be greater than the Pharisees and the scribes if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And now he's coming, he's grabbing that and almost connecting it here and saying, I told you that I'm not abolishing the law and the prophets. I'm fulfilling them. Well, here's how you fulfill them. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Which, this is a very profound and yet simple definition of what love really is. Like when you love other people, you seek their good the way that you would naturally seek your own. You desire what is best for them the way that you naturally desire what is best for you. The things that you want most for you because you love them, you want that most for them. And Jesus is saying that type of love, that type of selfless, other-focused, other-driven, other-giving love is in fulfillment of the whole law and prophets. If that type of love lives in you, you will naturally fulfill everything that God wants from you. Because law and prophets here is referring to the whole Bible at that time. Like everything that the, the Jews had at that point, which is now our Old Testament, could be called the law and the prophets, just a shorthand for it. And Jesus is saying, if you love people this way, it will fulfill the law and the prophets. You will live up to what God really wants from people in his kingdom. And then this is connected to what John said, but so... This famous one, this is when I told you to begin, I think there's a lot of connections here that we don't usually look at. This was the one that started the whole chain for me. So Jesus, and we quote the golden rule, we quote it in isolation so often. I mean, it's one of those things, I do, how many of you throw this at your kids? Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Do to others what you want them to do. Like we, by itself. And it, it is good for us to learn, because usually what it does is it reveals how selfish we really are, how self-centered we really are that I don't want to treat other people the way I want to be treated. Like, I want to be treated that. I want you to do that for me, not me to do that for you. But he does say it here, but it's not in isolation. Because look, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Jesus connects this verse to everything that he's just said before. 
Like there's a, a foundation or a ground for why he says this. So, do to others what you would have them do to you. What, what's that so there for? What's he referring back to? And what's interesting is that everything else that we just talked about, where people naturally focused at the beginning today, he tells us something about God, starting in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. This is what Phil said, that God will give to you when you ask. God will help you find when you seek. God will open the door when you knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you? And so Jesus said, this is what your Father's like. This is how he gives. This is how he reveals. This is how he opens. And he's good and loving and perfect in that. Your Father in heaven will give good gifts to you. So, do to others as you would have them do to you. I mean, do you see how it's, uh, it's directly connected in Jesus' mind? Even though we quote this and we quote this and we quote this and we don't connect any of them a lot of times when we quote each individual one. And so I want us to think about that connection for just a minute. What is, what is really going on there when Jesus says, this is who God is as your father. This is the way God will provide and give to you. So you can love other people in such a way that it fulfills the whole law and prophets. Well, I believe what's going on there is Jesus is saying, the reason that you wouldn't fulfill verse 12, the reason you wouldn't love people this way, the reason that you wouldn't do to them what you want them to do to you, the reason that you wouldn't love this generously and selfishly is because you have to put yourself first. You, you feel like, I need to do for me, I need to provide for me, I need to take care of me. I can't afford to love people that way because then who will take care of me? If I don't look out for number one, who's going to? And Jesus is like, if you ever really understand that you have a Father in heaven who loves you perfectly, who is taking care of you and is going to take care of you, and you can come and tell him what you need, and he's listening and he hears and he wants to give it to you, that he's already inclined to give you the things you're going to ask for. If you know that he loves you that way and he looks out for you that way, then you don't have to look out for yourself that way. His love for you will take care of you so you are free from taking care of yourself. And once you're free from taking care of yourself, you're free to love other people for the first time ever. His love for you sets you free to love other people. The fact that he will take care of you means you don't have to worry about you and you can stop focusing on you and that allows you to focus on and take care of other people. Your father has you covered. So go love other people. Stop thinking about yourself because he's thinking about you. And all that time you would have spent thinking about yourself, you can think about other people. All that time you would have spent grabbing and getting for yourself, you can give to other people. You can give them everything you want because he's going to give you what you need and he never runs out. Like If you give away all of your time and all of your attention and all of your focus and all of your love for the rest of your life, you'll still have everything because your Father in heaven has everything and he gives good gifts to his children. But do you see, again, like even in maybe like the, the highest part of Jesus' moral teaching ever, treat others how you want to be treated. Do to others what you want them to do to you. We would think that that's the most practical thing Jesus ever said, and in some ways it is. But in the most practical, highest, ethical, moral teaching Jesus ever gives us, it's grounded in who God is. 
You will not be able to do this if you don't believe who God is. You will never be able to truly love other people until you know that God truly loves you. You have to see who He is. You have to see how He loves you. And, and not just intellectually, where you're like, oh yeah, I read it, but experientially, where you have a relationship with your Father and you are encountering Him and you are knowing Him and He is speaking to you and living in you and giving, like you are experiencing His love for you. And every time you experience His love just a little bit more, it sets you free to love other people a little bit more. Jesus is saying, the way that you will love people this way is by knowing your Father already loves you this way. So that's the first connection that I saw was the, the ask and it will be given to you because you have a good Father who loves to give good, good gifts to his children is the ground for the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And, and that's not just because they're side by side, but Jesus uses like a logical connector there. So... Like, because this is who your father is, therefore, do this. Once you know your father loves you in this way, because of that, so you can do this. But then as I backed up more, ignoring the one that confuses me, I realized that up here, all this other stuff that we quote is the same sort of thing. And, and let's just walk through the judging first, and then we'll talk about the connection. Because... We do live in a culture that throws, like, do not judge. And what they mean is do not judge at any time in any way for any reason. Like, none of us can ever offer a definitive thought, opinion, judgment about anything because, you know, all truth is relative and what you believe, as long as you believe it, is good for you. And what I believe, as long as I believe it, it's good for me. And, and, of course, we mean that usually in the moral, spiritual, religious realm when people... And we don't even realize how much that thinking has invaded our thinking a lot of times. And just to point out, first of all, how absurd it is, is that we can't function that way in any other area of life. Like we, we try to apply it to the moral, spiritual, religious realm, but in, in everyday life, we believe there's all sorts of things that are either true or false, and we expect not just us to know it, but other people to know it, and if they don't, we hold them to it. And so, to, you know, like a simple, silly example, Chris Brown's sitting right here, and if uh, Chris came to my house to do some plumbing work for us, and we had agreed ahead of time, hey, this is, this is $500 worth of work plus materials. And let's say he has to spend $200 on materials. So $500 plus of work plus $200 of materials, I owe him $700. And imagine that when he gets done, I hand Chris two $5 bills. And he's standing there being polite and keeps waiting. And I'm like, thanks a lot. And he looks at the $5 bills and he looks at me and he's like, hey, this is only $10. And this was a $700 job. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. To me, 5 plus 5 equals 700. And he's like, no, it doesn't. And I'm like, oh, yeah, to me it does. You know, that's what I believe for me, and that's good enough for me. Now, how many people is that going to hold water with? Nobody, right? Like there, there's something outside of Chris and outside of me, the mathematical system that we all know, that's an objective standard of reality, and 5 plus 5 does not equal 700 in that system. And it doesn't matter how much I believe it. I could, I could sincerely believe it. 
and I'm sincerely wrong. Like there's something outside of us, and if what we think doesn't match that standard, what we think is wrong. If what we think matches that standard, what we think is right. And Chris should pass judgment on my mathematical ability in that situation and say, hey, your math is wrong. And he's not being cruel to me. He's not condemning me. He's not looking down on me. That could be a pure statement of fact. 5 plus 5 does not equal 700. If you think 5 plus 5 equals 700, you need help with math. And in the long run, if I'm that far off, there's probably a whole lot of other stuff that it would benefit me if I understood it better mathematically, right? Do you realize that's exactly the sort of thing we try to do with spiritual truths and religion so often in our culture? You know, if Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's either true or it's not. If it's true, these other religions, they're 5 plus 5 equals 700. Like they're not getting you where they say they are if what Jesus said is true. They're not, it's not compatible. Now, when Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, if that's not true, then we can't trust that he is who he said he was. Like, if, you, if you're wrong about a claim that huge, then you're not a great teacher. And you're either you're clearly imperfect, so you're not the son of God, or you're deceiving people intentionally and lying to them about who you are, so you're not the son of God. Like, that's what's at stake. And it's not, well, you can believe that about Jesus, but I'm going to believe this about and fill in the blank. It's not an option. Like, either Jesus is who he says he is. Either the things he says are true or they're not. And there is a place where when it comes to truth, we have to make those type of judgments. So, bigger picture, clearly Jesus isn't saying never make a judgment about anything in any way. But he is saying do not judge or you will be judged. The best thing to do is let him tell us what he means. And I'm just going to say that 100% of the time forever. (laughs) If Jesus says something, let Jesus tell you what he means. We don't get to define it for him. We don't get to tell him what he means. So when he says do not judge or you will be judged, what does he mean? Well, just keep reading. What does he say next? For... In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So he's giving you a warning. Hey, if you come and judge people a certain way, you will be judged the way that you've judged them. And so be careful how you judge other people because you're going to be judged the way that you've judged them. And then he explains even more what he, says, what he means when he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so right here, we start to get what he means. When he says don't judge, one of the things he clearly means, do not judge hypocritically. And what he's defining as hypocritically is when you judge other people more harshly than you judge yourself. You hypocrite. Do not focus on this tiny little speck of sawdust in their eye when you've got an entire two-by-four in your own eye. Don't judge people more harshly than you judge yourself. So I said do not judge hypocritically. We'll just add, do not judge harshly. 
Because here's the other thing going on. If it is a piece of sawdust and you're treating it as a bigger deal than the plank in your eye, you're being really harsh with them. But also what makes it so hypocritical is you're not dealing with what's wrong with you and you're in no position to judge them when you haven't dealt with what's wrong with you. So first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Judge honestly. And I even I tried to alliterate these for you all. Hypocritically, harshly, honestly. Do not judge hypocritically. Do not judge harshly, but judge honestly. And the judge honestly comes out of verse 5 where he's like, look at your own eye and realize that this two-by-four is a huge problem. Be honest with yourself about your own sin. Be honest with yourself about your mess that keeps you from seeing clearly to help other people. Because if you've got a two-by-four in your own eye, there's no way that you can take a pair of tweezers and remove that sawdust from somebody else's eye. You've got a two-by-four in your eye. (laughs) So deal with your own sin first. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with others. Be honest with God in the confession of, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is my issue. Here's the big issue for me. Help me deal with this. Get this out of my eye. And then you can be honest with other people. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He doesn't say, leave the speck there, it doesn't matter. He doesn't say, well, as long as they believe the speck's good for them, it's good for them. It still needs to come out. But this way, judge helpfully. I'm not blasting you and condemning you about the speck of sawdust in your eye. I want to help you get it out. I need this plank out of my eye so I can clearly see who God is. You need this speck out of sawdust out of your eye so you can clearly see God, who God is. The motivation, in one sense, for getting the plank out of my eye is that I can help you better. It's driven by love and not condemnation. It's driven by, I don't, I'm not trying to set myself up where I put, oh, look what's wrong with you, look what's wrong with you. Let's ignore what's wrong with me. I want to be a hypocrite and ignore what's wrong with me while I point out what's wrong with you and it makes me feel better. To, no. Help me with what's wrong with me so I can help you with what's wrong with you. I I want to, and then this is the connection, I think, back to where we were just a minute ago. So again, skip the one verse I don't understand. Down to this part, do to others what you'd have them do to you. Do you see the connection? Judge other people the way that you want to be judged. When there is something wrong, listen, have you ever had something like sawdust in your eye? I mean, I, I, sometimes when I, I don't run anymore because I'm too old, I walk and I ride a stationary bike in the house. But when I used to run, I would get gnats and bugs in my eyes. Like, have you ever had a gnat in your eye or a speck of sawdust in your eye or Sydney got an eyelash in her eye just the other day? Like, how much do you want that thing out of your eye? And how thankful are you when somebody else can see it? Like, you pull down your eyelid. So I would come home, and sometimes I was in the middle of my run, and I had like 15 more minutes, and so your eyes water and you can't see. And I'd come home, and as soon as i come in the door with Christy, I'd be like, hey, I need you to get this out of my eye, now. <laughs> I wasn't like, how dare you judge me? You're saying I have a gnat in my eye, and I shouldn't have a gnat in my eye? No, like, please get this gnat out of my eye. You want people to help you with that. And so in the same way that you want help with that, Help people in that way. And and it is important, by the way, when somebody's coming at your eye, that they be gentle and they be careful and that they be able to see well. (laughs) And so you, when people need help, you be gentle. You be careful. 
You make sure that you're doing the spiritual work in your relationship with God so that you can see well. Because sometimes if we're not careful, we go ripping people's eyeballs out and we act like we're doing them a favor. It's like, no, that's supposed to be there. Leave them alone. And so Jesus, in a real way, the do not judge and the do to others as you would have them do to you, even though we don't, we quote both of them and never quote them together, I feel like they're 100% together in this passage. Like, judge the way that you want to be judged. Judge out of love. The way that God has judged you, because he has. He looked at you and he said, you're not okay. That is a judgment. He said, you're not okay, and you're never going to be able to be okay on your own. And then he said, but I'm not harsh with you and I don't condemn you. I love you and I want to help you. Like the honest judgment, you're not okay and you're never going to be okay on your own. But I love you. I want to help you. Here's how I'm going to help you. My son, he is okay. He's more than okay on his own. And he's going to come and do for you what you could never do for yourself. And he's going to rescue you from all the things that are wrong with you. It is a problem. It is wrong. It's got to be fixed. You can't fix it, but I will. I love you enough that when I make this judgment about you, I will rescue you from this judgment about you. That's the way your father has loved you. And when you realize your father loves you that way, you can start loving other people that way. You don't need to beat them down in order to lift yourself up. You don't need to point out every little thing that's wrong with them so that people won't be focused on the things that are wrong with you. You're free. You're free to be honest about, hey, this plank, I need help getting it out of my eye. And you're free to be honest about, hey, there is some sawdust in your eye, and I'd like to help you. But you're free because you know your Father loves you. Because you know your Father has already done this for you. It's a completely different context than the type of judgment that we're usually talking about. And so don't judge hypocritically for you ignore the stuff that's wrong with you and just focus on everybody else. Deal with your stuff first. Confess your stuff first. Don't judge harshly where you make a bigger deal out of it if it's in somebody else's life than you would if it were in your life. That's the other way we do that, by the way. Like when... When I struggle with it, it's like, oh, well, you know, here's what was really going on, and we downplay it, we minimize it. When you struggle with it, I can't believe somebody would do that. (laughs) If it's always a bigger deal when it's somebody else instead of you, you know that you're missing Jesus' point here. So don't judge hypocritically, don't judge harshly, judge honestly and judge helpfully. It's contextually what he's saying, because that's the way you would want to be judged, with a father who looks at you and is like, I'm honest about your problem but I'm going to help you with it. And my love for you means I'll give you what you need, and what you need is my son. And I will give you my son in a way that it sets you free from having to take care of yourself. And when you're free from having to take care of yourself, you can love other people the way that I love you. I think that's the connection of the whole section, 1 through 12, except I'm going to come back, except verse 6. I still don't fully get it. Now, John did point out where he's saying, hey, don't judge as if you're better than everybody else. Realize that you are like everybody. You know, they've got sawdust in their eye, and you've got a plank in your eye. They've got things that are keeping them from seeing God clearly. You've got things that are keeping you from seeing God clearly. So in that sense, you have that common ground with everybody. But then also there is some kind of distinction here. What he said, if you didn't hear him earlier, was, but you are separate and set apart when you're God's child. Like when you have come to believe in Jesus and he's doing this work in you, you are different 
than the people in the world who he doesn't live in them yet, and he's not doing this work in them yet. And I do get that. And so people, and people usually talk here about there is this time where we've shared the truth, we've told the truth, we've tried to help people, and they don't want to be helped. For this is not something that we can force or make it happen. And I think all of that does fit here. And maybe that's the whole thing. Like Sometimes we ask questions of the Bible, by the way, and our questions are wrong. So my question may be wrong right here. Like the, the meaning that we hear of this section may be what it means. That I, just, I keep having this nagging sense there's something else here that I'm not seeing. And so I want to say that out loud to you all. And if you all see it, I want to hear from you. John, do you want to add anything else to that since you turned us on to it? Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that is, like, John, I think, is really getting something here that verse 6 does feel like some sort of balance to verses 1 through 5. Like, the way that we could misinterpret it, Jesus is anticipating that. And I'm going to add another one here, because as you were talking, I heard it, and I don't think I did. Yeah, and and it still works. It's still another H. You all should remember these this week. Judge humbly. Like not in a way where you elevate yourself above other people, where you come alongside them, down with them, knowing that you've got your own problems, your own stuff in your eye. And, and so, yeah, what John was saying right there that I, I do think is a piece of this, when Jesus comes and says, do not judge this way, where you think you're better than other people, or you think there's nothing wrong with you, or you only focus on wrong with them, that it would be possible for us then to be like, okay, so I'm just, I'm just supposed to just be... So, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable or make them think that I'm better than them, so I'm just going to be just like them. And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, love people in a way where you identify with them and relate to them, but your life is still supposed to be different from them when you're following him. That there is a distinction here. The other thing that popped in my head while John was talking is that I know for me that there's this possibility of like one mistake that we can make is I judge harshly and I just focus on what's wrong with you. But the other mistake we can make is when I really want to start to help somebody, where I make up my mind, okay, you're going to get help whether you want it or not. <laughs> and, and it becomes not motivated anymore really by helping them, but by the fact that it validates me and makes me feel good about myself. 
if I'm able to successfully do this for you. And in a real twisted way, my helping you becomes about me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I have committed to this now. If you don't receive my help, I'm a failure. And me helping you has become about me. Do you understand what I'm saying there? And I think part of what Jesus is saying here is, you may honestly, helpfully, humbly judge somebody and want to help them, and they completely reject you. It's okay, that's not about you. It's okay if you try to help and they won't receive your help because your identity and your worth and your value is not in you successfully helping them. Your identity and your worth and your value is in the fact that your father is who your father is and he loves you the way that he loves you. And you are loving these people whether they receive it or not. You're loving them the way you're supposed to. And so you can be at peace and walk away and say, hey, they won't receive it right now. And that's not condemnation for me. My father doesn't judge me in that way. And that may be some of what's going on right there. Yeah. We got, I saw yours first, Patience. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another great. So the idea that when, when, helping, <laughs> when helping hurts, there's actually a book <laughs> called that, but when helping turns into enabling because we won't draw a line that we should, we won't have the boundary that we should, and, and we're still trying to help because it's about us now and I just can't give up and let it go, but what we're doing doesn't help. The most helpful thing we could do sometimes is be like, hey, I'm going to have to walk away right here because you're not hearing. Not because I don't love you, but because I do, and I hope by me walking away that you'll wake up and start to listen. And so that may be another piece of what he's saying here. There is a right way for you to help, but when they don't, the most helpful thing you can do is to stop helping for a while until they're ready for you to help. Somebody over here. Yeah, and and with both of these, I would just like to point out that one of the things that's definitely going on here is Jesus' like behind Jesus' teaching is this thought of, hey, there isn't just a formula that you can memorize and apply it to every situation you ever find yourself in relationally. And as long as you follow this formula exactly right, everything will work out. Because it's not about you knowing and following a formula. It's about you knowing and following Jesus. And so both of these, what we're saying is there has to be this prayerful, ongoing dependence on the Spirit to lead us in those moments. Not depending on my knowledge that, hey, I've memorized this thing, I know what to do, but depending on the Spirit to give me discernment in the moment of, is this a moment where I keep working on that sawdust, or is this a moment where I back off and say, God's going to work on their hearts more before they're going to hear me. But only He can lead you in that moment to know which piece of this truth you apply. And then I think there was one more. Was there a hand? Yeah, Darren. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so what, what Darren was saying there, dogs in that culture and pigs for the Jews, they're, they're dirty, dangerous, unclean animals. And so, and that really may be the shift from brother to dogs and pigs could be significant there. Um, and so if we're going to try to summarize this and wrap up for this week, and obviously we can come back to it as much as you want or feel free to send me emails, but Jesus starts in chapter 7 in a way where I think in these first five verses, and this is great, <laughs> in these first five verses he says, let's deal with your heart before you go judge people. Like he talks to us and is like, if you're going to judge, you've got to make sure it's in the right way and not the wrong It's got to come from a place of love and not a place of pride or self-defense or arrogance. Love and helpfulness and humility. You, you get your heart right first. because you, And the way you get your heart right is knowing who your father is. Knowing how much he loves you and how good he is to you and that he will take care of you. You know who your father is and your heart starts to get right because his love is filling you up and you're able to love people that way. So now you're, in this equation now, your heart is getting right. You may still encounter people who their heart isn't getting right yet. So what, what do you do when you encounter people who you're really trying to love them and they won't let you yet? And he's like, there comes a time where when, when my spirit gives you this discernment, it's time for you to back off and say, hey, I can't manufacture this. I can't make this happen. There's still something more that has to happen in their hearts. Oh, and where does that come from? When their hearts aren't right and you can't fix them, what's the best thing you can do for them? Pray. Ask the Father to do what only He can do in their hearts. Ask the Father to do the work in their hearts that you know you need the Father to be doing in your heart. He's the one who turns dogs and pigs into sons and brothers. He's the one who makes them clean and makes them children. So when you can't do, like when, when you keep banging your head against the walls and nothing I do works, that's okay. <laughs> you know the one who can make it work. So ask him again and again and again. Knock again and again. Seek specifically. Ask specifically. Because you have a good father in heaven who loves to give good gifts. And if you know who your father is and how he loves you, you know that he's the one who can love them too. And when you're trusting his love, do for them what you need done for you. Like that, that is a lot of the connection here. And so in all of it, this whole thing, listen to every word Jesus says. But don't rip out any word Jesus says and take it by itself. Every word Jesus says right here, it is not this high command given to you. Like, no, go and do this. Every word Jesus says is this, hey, if you know who your father is, if you know how your father loves you, that will set you free to do this. Because of who your father is, do this. Because your father loves you this way, you love this way. And so I pray that you see his love for you, that you know his love for you a little bit more today in Jesus. And I'm going to pray that right now, and we're going to sing and thank God for that. There's going to be people down here. If you want to pray with somebody, talk to somebody, that's what we're here for during this time. But will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I thank you for the parts that we don't automatically see clearly and we have to wrestle with. Um, thank you that that protects us from dependence on ourselves and trusting ourselves as if we have it all figured out and know all the answers. Thank you for, even this morning, driving us 
to keep asking you and relying on you and looking to what you would say to us through the body. And thank you for your faithfulness in doing that this morning. I ask that you will keep speaking to our hearts by your spirit and by your word. Help us, Father, to know and believe your love for us, your goodness, your care, your provision. And I pray, Father, that the more we know your love, that we will be set free to love the way that you love us and that you will use us to help others, to draw others to Jesus, to help others see your love for them. Make us that type of church and that type of people by your work and by your spirit and by the truth of your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Stand and sing with us and come and pray with somebody if you need to.